Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let me give you a picture of what I see. Johnny is lounging. He's lying on his front, sipping from a bottle of Coca-Cola in sun-kissed Mexico. Glass he's bottle of Coca-Cola. A glass bottle. He's, he's lying on his front like he doesn't have a care in the world. Well, you know, the, uh, I've just come back from a speedboat ride and I'm just about to go and get ready for dinner. Um, Living the round and round resort life, you know. He's in Mexico, ladies and gentlemen, and he's enjoying life. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Just looking at the the weather for tomorrow. It's a nice twenty eight degrees here, um, and it's been no rain so far. Although there are rumours might might drizzle a bit tomorrow. Uh, Downpours in England, everybody. Say, yeah, uh, how, how's the weather in England at the minute? I have heard been not caught so in the rain, waiting for a bus for 40 minutes. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I heard rumours of uh, such things. <laughs> I've had seen pictures of co-workers absolutely soaking wet. Yes, um, very much so. Yeah, no, um, no complaints here. I would, although I did have to fly, fly on a plane for 11 hours to get here, which was less than fun, but... Oh, boo-hoo. Um, yeah, other than that, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Going to a nice uh, Asian fusion restaurant tonight for dinner. And, Ooh, nice. You know, when in Mexico, have that Asian fusion food. Absolutely. When in Rome, do the things that the Romans aren't doing. I mean, for regular listeners, I sometimes am around the world when we record. It's happened a few times before. Uh, and this is very much not my normal type of holiday, but here we are. Um, and it's fine. Yeah. He's having fun. Pig and shit, I think, is the term. Well, I don't, I don't know if I'd say that, but it's it's good. It's good. Anyway, on to more important things. Uh, we've got a very special episode of the podcast today. Um, the last time we did a very special episode of the podcast was also because I was away and we just needed something quick. Um, although I did watch some films on the plane as well, so one day we'll talk about those maybe. Yes, absolutely. We'll fit those in at some point. Um, but yeah, 
so, Callum, what is it we're going to talk about this week? It's a our first career retrospective. We're talking about the directorial works of Quentin Tarantino. I believe we've both made a list for a ranking his the 10 films that are currently released uh, from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 or however we want to do it. And we're going to talk about his well, career nine at films. large. As he calls nine. it, nine films. Oh, yes, of course he does. Um, his career at large and also uh, where we rank his films and where we think it all went wrong, if we think it all went wrong. Yeah. Um, I think, shall we start off with our maybe our rankings and our reasons why? Yeah, sure. Um, let's start off, Callum, with what is your number one? My best one is, uh, my number one film is Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I very nearly gave it to Jackie Brown, and sometimes it does flip around, but I recently rewatched Pulp Fiction. And the sheer ambition is incredible, especially the confidence for his second film. And it really is as entertaining today as the first time you saw it. it you, you can start to pick apart little bits his uh, insistence on using that racial slur when nobody asked him to a lot, um, which is also in Jackie Brown, but the story justifies that more. Um, It's fun, it's zippy, it's long, but you don't feel it. Um, And that's um, we're going to be talking about this person a lot more. Sally Menke was his longtime editor until she died in 2010 of a heat stroke. And this is her firing at the at her um, peak of her powers, just as it's him with his writing and directorial peak of his powers. So that's my number one. Um, and yourself? I hate to agree with you, but so I always used to say Jackie Brown when in my young and more flippant days. But actually, now I'm a, I'm a bit more meat and potatoes than I used to be. Um, and I kind, of, I kind of agree. I think Reservoir Dogs is, like you say, incredibly ambitious. Pulp fiction. Very smart. Uh, sorry, that's what I meant to say. Uh, <laughs> although, uh, uh, yeah, I would agree as well. Um, yeah, very ambitious, very smart, very well put together. Um, real kind of renaissance for certain actors as well. Um, and I do just think, yeah, it's just, but it is, it's everything I like about Quentin Tarantino with very little I don't like. And obviously something we'll probably talk about later is there are some bits of Quentin Tarantino which are less likeable. Um, yes, others. absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, unfortunately, I agree with you on that one. <laughs> well, let's see how we go from here. Uh, my number two is Jackie Brown. Um, it's his first and only adaptation. So this uh, helps in a lot of ways because at around about the point of Jackie Brown, he was starting to get a big bit, bit too big for his uh, britches. Uh, his head got a bit big and his screenplays got a lot messier pretty much after this point. Jackie Brown is significant in the fact that he's working from a Pulp Fiction story, ironically. Uh, James um, James Elroy book, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, punch, uh, punch Drunk, I believe. Oh, sorry, no, Punch Love. Some punch, there's a punch in the title, in the original title. I punch can't remember what it's love. called. No, no, it's something like that. It's something similar to that, but I can't remember what it is. And um, it's a very tight mystery. It's got all the hallmarks of um, James Elroy. Um, it's, no, sorry, um, Leonard... You know, I think I am mixing up the author. That is terrible. So I'm going to correct myself. But it's got all the hallmarks of that naughty Pulp Fiction kind of storytelling that you do find from those old school detective uh, mystery writers. Um, And it's got possibly his best performance from an actress uh, with uh, Pam Greer as as Jackie Brown. 
and um, yeah, it's just really solid, solidly put together. And it, the fact that it is an adaptation helps him um, reduce some of his uh, more pretentious elements that would come pretty much directly after this. And it's Elmore Leonard and it's Rum Punch. There, we got there in the end. <laughs> Brilliant. And yourself, number two. Uh, I am, it, it's close, and that nearly tipped it, but I'm actually just going to go Reservoir Dogs. I think it's tightly written, tightly scripted, real kind of like blowing on the scene. Um, one of his shortest films, if not his shortest. Uh, which yeah, I think it's like 19 minutes. Uh, and what a debut. Um, I think, yeah, I think really kind of, yeah, I can't imagine what's... I mean, I was two when that film came out, so quite clearly I didn't see it when I was two. But I can't <laughs> imagine what that did to like, the film industry, like people going, wow, who is this young, this young... Well, that was during the time uh, Sundance, mm-hmm. uh, American indie filmmakers like uh, him and Hal Hartley and uh, Kevin Smith yeah. and Richard Linklater were all kind of bursting on the scene. Uh, a lot of them snapped up by <coughs> Harvey Weinstein, Um and um, one of those kind of young, brash boys that was snapped up. And it is a good calling card. If, you know, you can't ask for a more confident debut. And confidence was his thing for a long time. He was more confident, not necessarily more talented, but more confident than anyone else coming out around that time. Yeah, fair enough. And your third film. Number three, I want to go for a bit of a left curve here. I actually am going for Inglorious Bastards. Wow. It is flabby and um, a bit all over. Dogs. That's over yeah. Um, but I think it's the last time where his confidence overrodes some of his more pithily sort of instincts. He doesn't give himself a cameo that I can recall. He's got that fantastic um, performance by uh, Christoph Waltz. But it's also the last time, it's the last film directed by Sally Menke. And I think you, there's a sharp decline from that point on because we always say things like, what this director needs is a good editor standing over him with a big stick. It's not necessarily about the length because, you know, Lawrence of Arabia is over two and a half hours long. It's more about the fact that she was the one to wield the stick and say, you can have a long film, but it needs to justify its length. And I think this one, because it's got so many little jumpy plots going on in and out, um, it justifies that length, and it ties it together with pop music and a bit of silliness. And I find the silliness and and the ambition quite um, applaudable. Fair enough. Um, I am probably unsurprisingly going Jackie Brown. Nice. From what we previously said, um, I kind of agree with everything you say. I think it's one of his last films before his worst instincts, mainly being way too long, being his worst mm-hmm. instinct, start really taking over. It's two and a half hours, which is long, but not as long as some of his coming up films. And uh, that's obviously... Cal- again, it's well about um, um, Sally Menke kind of wielding the big stick. Exactly. It's not the length, it's just that it everything... Works together in tandem with its length. It's tight. It's long, but it's tight. Yeah, exactly. It's not not flabby. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna gonna give it that. Fantastic. And number four for me is Reservoir Dogs. Uh, as we were just saying, it's a very confident debut. It's 
you know, one of those young American filmmakers just saying, I am here, take notice of me. And him and a few of those other guys that were emerging at that time had the sort of brash confidence to pull it off. The fact that he could rope in people like um, rising stars at the time, like uh, Tim Roth and Steve Buscemi, but also get a few um, old war horses like Harvey Keitel and Lawrence Tierney. And, uh, you know, you require for a man in his 20s to get that kind of talent and ensemble together. They could clearly see, wow, this guy is the real deal. And he has the talent to justify that plot, that uh, that ambition. And everything you said is right. It's short. It's contained. It has to be because of the budget. Um, but it has a few flourishes. I remember one of my favorite scenes is when Tim Roth is in the toilet. And he's telling that story about the cops. They know, man, and that fucking dog, he definitely knows. I mean, has it being spoken to the fourth wall that shows that kind of ambition and talents and uh, flight of fancy. He can take the odd flight of fancy because he's he knows this script and he's very confident with it and he, he earns it. Fair enough. Um, my fourth is, is quite... I feel like it's quite tight at this point. There's a few that depending on my day of the week, I could interchange. Like, I, I feel like Pulp Fiction is probably way out ahead and then Reservoir and, and Jackie Brown kind of start tucking in pretty quick behind for me. Um, but I think I'm going to go Django. Oh, okay. I yeah. really quite like Django Unchained. I think it surprised me. Um, its biggest downside is it's too flabby. But outside of that, it's it's not by far the worst of his films from a flabbiness point of view. Um, probably the most pointless bit is his cameo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the Australian out, accent? Yeah, a really bad Australian accent. <laughs> you took that out um, and you don't really have to take too much else out to start making it tight. Um, I really, uh, yeah, all the, perform- all the lead performances are great. Um Christoph Fultz back, probably his, I would say Christoph Fultz's second best performance in a Tarantino movie. Um, Leo, absolutely amazing in it. And obviously Jamie Foxx was kind of perfect for that role. Um, and then Sam Jackson and Walter Goggins and all these other kind of like really great supporting actors in there. So yeah, I think I really, really enjoyed Django. Um, I haven't watched it for a while actually as well, which means it should be on my list to rewatch. So that's my fourth. What about you? Well, um, right. my fifth. Um, yes, my fifth is Janka. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said um, because this name is going to come up a lot and it serves to because of just how uh, integral she was in shaping Tarantino's work. This is the first film he made without Sally because so she died in 2010. This film was made in 2013. And I think the, 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 the um, things start to creep in. Like the, we were saying, ah, we would have cut that bit with the Australian bit and, and that bit, oh, we could tighten that bit at, that's when, because she wasn't there anymore to, to hold the reins on the editing. And very talented editors came in afterwards. I don't know who edited this film, but it's well edited. But you can start to see the, the power dynamic shift. Yeah, it's I think there's probably been... Even King range of, no, I'll write a book as long as I want. There's kind probably of not that respect there anymore. There's probably not that yeah. kind of like, okay, Quentin, look, I love you, man, but you just need to rein it in a little bit. Uh, yeah, exactly. So the person not. who's editing this film, it's not that they're not talented, it's fantastically edited. But now it's in a place where there's no longer, Quentin, come on, 
I'm going to hit you with a big stick if you're not careful. But, you know, in a, in a more loving way. Now it's him that can say, no, keep that thing in. I really need that thing. I really need that cameo where I speak in the Australian accent. Kinds of things that she could have said no to. But otherwise, it, yeah, it's fantastic. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I actually don't think, I think Jamie Foxx is fine. I think he's a little bit miscast. I think he's a bit too cool to play Django, especially when he's pretending that he's not cool. So he's fantastic in the third act when he is the absolute king. But in the first act, when he's supposed to be scared and timid and he's still a slave and he's scared he's going to get hurt, I kind of never really believed that Jamie Foxx is anything other than the coolest guy in the room in that first act. Um, and so a slight, slight, maybe better directing for Jamie or maybe slight miscasting. But otherwise, he's great. I think in the second and third act, he's fantastic. Just in the first act, I don't quite buy him. Yeah, I think Leo, Leo does steal the show in that movie. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, he, yeah, that's the thing. He's, he's not scary. a scary man um, to not be walked over by these, not just Leo, but uh, Christoph and also Samuel mm. L. Jackson. He, he, I think he allows the supporting actors to walk over him a bit. Um, but again, uh, maybe with um, some slight tweaks that could have been changed. But this is where the problems start to creep in a bit. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to go for my fifth Kill Bill Volume 2. Oh, which of course is the better of the Kill Bills. Oh, <laughs> I think we might have a disagreement here. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, everyone knows the problem with the Kill Bill trilogy, uh, the trilogy, the uh, pair of films, is that all the action happens in the first one and all the story happens in the second one. Yeah. And from an individual scene point of view, there are some of the best scenes in the first one, but I personally think that the story happens in the second one. Um, and I think it's a more of a thinky film. And for that, I, I, I give it a, a, a nod. Um, whereas I think the first one feels flabbier to me. Um, but I think that's an issue. And this is, unfortunately, I almost think they should have mixed the two films up a bit more and, and had a kind of a better kind of defining cut line in the middle. I agree. Um, and that's where the issues come in with it. Um, and again, this is where, I mean, there's, there is a world when you could have made a two and a half hour movie, one movie with, that gets the whole story out. Um, and again, this is where Quentin Tarantino, you know, even though this was pre um, the, the big change, uh, is still starting some of his kind of worst excesses are coming in. Whereas his first three movies were toit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I personally think two is... The, I've probably watched one more, but I think two is the better movie. Fair enough. Um, so my number six, it's not Kill Bill, but it's, uh, I've gone for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's rogue. It's um, a sketch comedy. Uh, it's very similar to um, Hail Caesar, where Hail Caesar and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they're... They're sketch shows. It's like an episode of The Fast Show, Hollywood edition. But uh, with um, Hail Caesar, it's about 50s films. And with this, it's um, 70s kind of period of uh, cinema. I find the individual scenes funny. And I find that the plots around it doesn't matter. Because I don't think Quentin really cares all that much about the, the plot. I just think he wanted to have a gag where they were filming a bad TV Western. They wanted a gag where with Bruce Lee in it. They wanted a gag with, like in um, Hail Caesar, they wanted a gag making fun of old musicals. They wanted a gag making fun of old 
um, cowboy sing-song westerns, and they it's like, oh well, we better have a plot to connect these things. <sighs> Who cares? And I kind of like if I if this was just a sketch comedy made for television, I would have been fantastic. That's why it's not higher. But the plot around it, I couldn't care less. But I do enjoy the individual scenes, like uh, when they're filming the really awful western TV show. And he shouts, line, at one moment. And then at the end of the scene, the little girl who's playing like the scared little girl in the scene comes up to Leo and says, I thought you were fantastic in that. And Leo just goes, thank you. And then he goes into his trailer and says, don't cry, don't cry. And think, that's a well-observed scene. I couldn't care less about the rest of the movie or the plot. I just like that this is a, uh, an extended episode of the Fast Show, Hollywood edition, just as Hail Caesar is. And that's all I'm really enjoying it for. But at this point, though, I'm starting this from uh, six on. I'm starting to go, yeah, it's all right. But I like this bit. So a lot of these are quite low-tea, loosey-goosey. Fair enough. Um, I am going to go very different to you. I'm going to go Kill Bill Volume 1. Ooh. Uh, I don't think there's a huge amount, uh, although I think 2 is a better rounded movie. And if you only had to watch one of them to understand what's going on, that's the one you'd watch. Uh, volume one has some absolutely amazing action scenes in it. Um, it's it's kind of I quite like when Quentin like is going, I want to do a martial arts movie. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I feel like it it works really well from that point of view. Visually, it's really fun and interesting. And Uma Thurman really like kills it. So no, I really like Volume Two. Pun intended. Exactly. Um, so for number seven, I am going for Kildor Volume 1. And uh, you kind of can't talk about one without talking about the other. So you did say mention that one's all the action, the other's all the plot. Problem is that the plot is complete piffle, and I couldn't give an utter wank <laughs> about the killing of Bill and the fucking philosophizing at the end of Kildor Volume 2. Like, have I ever told you about Superman? Like, no, don't do this, Quentin. Don't have the monologue about Superman. Firstly, he's wrong about Superman. And that's always annoyed me. His, his, uh, you know, his, it makes this big philosophical speech. Kill, uh, sorry, Bill talks about Superman. He only, uh, Clark Kent is the costume. He's like, what? How can you be a comic book fan and think that that's the point of Superman? Clark Kent is the idealization of oh, whatever. Don't I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to get angry. But I I don't care about any of Volume Two. But the first one, it's fun. It's fun action scenes. They're well put together. They're violent, they're stupid. But it's just a good rollicking roller coaster. But I guess I'll get to Kilbert Volume Two in a minute. <laughs> but yeah, this one is fun. It's it's sloppy, but it's fun. Um, so Kilbert Volume One, number seven. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go in Glorious Bastards now. Oh, wow. That's my number seven. Um, I, I actually think Glorious Bastards is, is a mess. Okay. I, feel, I don't like Eli Roth in it. I'm just like, oh, stop just casting people because they were director. That could have been Adam Sandler. You know, that was uh, who we went for first. I think Adam Sandler would have probably been better. But yeah. I, Christoph Waltz absolutely steals it and, and is, is amazing. It's the best. It's, it's Christoph Waltz's probably best performance in anything. Um, uh, what a day again, kind of debut to American cinema. Um, but if if they hadn't found Christoph Waltz, I just don't think that film would have worked at all, and I don't think people would like it anywhere near as much as they have. I think, although it was the first one of his kind of like retellings of history, which I quite 
fun actually mm-hmm. I quite like that um yeah i do, i think the bastard the, the the bastards are just boring they don't do much they just kind of bumble around um the plot and it's so long for the amount of stuff that actually happens in it and i just think it's an absolute mess of a movie do i enjoy it yeah uh, and i think that's the point we, we're at seven out of ten movies yes. at the moment and we're all still saying they're enjoyable they're fun yes they're, you know they're probably still seven out of ten kind of grade here but they're not the nines of the kind of the one twos in our lists um so yeah it, you know it's fun but it's a it's a fun mess it's a complete mess uh, of a movie so that's why it is so low down for me very good uh number eight we're getting into the sort of rougher end of things it's the hateful eight hey the hateful eight at number eight i <laughs> didn't really as didn't do that on purpose um yeah this is a complete mess but i do like the chamber piece drama um the first half at one point there is a kind of a turn that it takes around the second half and that's where it kind of completely loses me but i do like kurt russell and samuel L. jackson and walton goggins all being just rough nasty people to each other in an old school sort of um uh, western i like that uh, they use was it 75 millimeter film mm-hmm. but exclusively almost for faces because you know that's usually they use that for films like uh, vistas and, and great plains of america you know because of just how wide the frame is but they use it to catch every sweaty pore it starts to get it it's a, i mean it was over three hours it's like well no it's, there's a cut of it that's over three hours i think the uh, cinema cut is just under three hours and boy it could lose an hour probably or, or at least half an hour but for while it's good, it is good. And every performer is enjoying themselves quite a lot. And it's Jennifer Jason Lee's first Oscar nomination. And she is really good. She knows she's probably never going to get an opportunity like this again. And she goes full kind of crazy person. And I like that. She's really good fun. So a lot of good performers saving the day here. But it's starting to get real flabby and really indulgent. Fair enough. And just now, number eight. Uh I'm going to go once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, okay. I think it's a flabby mess. I I like you like bits of it. I like the again Leo stuff. The Western stuff's pretty good. I quite like the um, you know the the, the ending's quite satisfying. Um, but it's so long and it has no point to it. Um, it's just pointless and it's just like a collection of like you say you call call it a sketch comedy but I would say it's meant to be a movie and a fucking long one at that Um, it's just a collection of scenes that some work some don't and the overall thing to me just doesn't work so again it's fun Um, as fun as a film about the Mansons can be Um, right (laughs) (laughs) uh, and again like Sunday afternoon 7 out of 10 it's fine but it's not kind of the groundbreaking stuff he was doing at the start of his career that is for sure we are starting to get into the more uh, oh, dregs you know, dregs here a bit so uh, i've got, I've got a feeling we're gonna both agree on number 10 but I'm yeah, i think so. <laughs> very low down kill bill number two yes it is all the plots problem is is that i actually don't care about whether um beatrix kiddo kills bill because all of that stuff is actually really quite the dull part. What I wanted to see is 
what was advertised to me, which is Uma Thurman chopping up people with the samurai sword. What I don't want to see is Uma Thurman and David Carradine, who is, for all the will in the world, is not a great actor. I know that Quentin Tarantino likes saving these old actors he saw on TV, like Robert Forster in, in uh, Jackie Brown, who got an Oscar nomination for that film. Fantastic. Um, John Travolta, Oscar nomination. Pop Fiction, fantastic. David Carradine, he's not he's not even the best Carradine brother. I mean, that goes to Keith Carradine. So hearing him piffle on for what feels like an hour and a half about, you want to hear my theories on life based on these old comic books I read, I scream at the screen, no, I don't. I never want to. But um, yeah, it starts to get really boring. It's like, where's the samurai swords? I want the samurai swords. Bring them back. So yeah, I start. I really just dis- start to dislike this at points, and it's not even a lot of fun. I find. But yes, sorry about that. I got a bit. I got off on one. <laughs> well, fair enough. You, you and Superman. You, I mean, you. Yeah, He's, he gets it wrong. It's his, his philosophizing. It's not even correct. I agree. Rank. I agree with him more than you. But there we go. Anyway, he's in the movie. You're not. So, well, yeah. Anyway, um, so my number nine is. Can you guess? Oh, uh, the hateful eight. You haven't done yet. Yeah, so. hateful eight. Hateful eight. The first hour is pointless. The next forty-five minutes starts to have some point, but is too slow. And then at the end, there's an hour and 15 minutes of fucking great movie. Um, But it could have been a really good two-hour movie. And it is a very long, very arduous three-and-a-bit-hour movie. Um, Yeah, I agree with you on all the acting fronts. Everyone's putting in a fun performance. Some secret ones that those of you who haven't seen it won't know what they are, which is is fun as well. Um, Yeah, uh, you know... There's a lot to like about it. Again, it goes into that same category as pretty much everything else we've talked about so far, where he had a, a category at the start of his career, in my opinion, at the start of his career, you, you put a couple of later ones a bit lower, or a bit higher on the list, but at the, at the start of his career where he was like pretty groundbreaking. And then he's become a bit of a pastiche of himself as he gets later into his career. They're still fun movies. It's, you know, you're still, you, it's rare that you, you go to a Quentin Tarantino movie and go, oh, that was so boring i hated all of it but the first hour is pointless and and it's a mess but a fun mess um and that leaves one film left drum roll please on uh which is death proof death proof yes Uh, and callum why is death proof at the bottom of your list i see it's rented pointless by being removed because so um back in the day the weinstein bros they when they had their own company and before everything that went down with them and they were free from Miramax and they snapped snapped up all of their boys that they'd signed to Miramax and put them in the Weinstein company and basically just said do whatever you want because they were trying to build a, a, a brand a base so Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez two of the Weinstein boys two of those 90s kids they made a film together called um uh, Grindhouse, which was supposed to be a throwback to the old Grindhouse cinema where you'd see an a, a B movie and an A movie 
um, connected by trailers. And these movies were ridiculously violent and stupid. And, you know, some people like myself kind of uh, think back fondly to them like, yeah, they're stupid and violent, but they're kind of fun. Um, And it flopped. It did no business. And because one big problem is after Robert Rodriguez entry um planet terror people got up and left the cinema and so when they started releasing the film worldwide planet terror i don't think it ever got a proper release um outside of in cinemas at least i think you can find it on dvd um and so they released death proof on its own but with more scenes added in so both films were about an hour and a half originally he put stuff back in and without the points it just looks it is pointless without the kind of connection of the grindhouse thing it is just a pointless nothing it's just like why is there on this digitally uh, on uh, why is there grain on this film that clearly has no grain this digital grain that they've added slapped on top why if this is a grindhouse film which is supposed to be fun in an hour and 15 minutes and roger corman blowing up something and someone getting their tits out and uh, an hour and a half and you're done why is this an hour and 55 minutes long? Why is Kurt Russell philosophizing about the engine of his car? Like, oh my God, Quentin, give it a rest. Um, you know, this film, it doesn't even do, like even in its shorter form, my understanding, even in its hour and 40 minute form, it doesn't do the job that it's supposed to do of being a grindhouse film. You know, take away the artificial grain and the 70s costumes. And it's, it's just a bad movie and it's a bad movie that doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And even in when it attempts to do what it's supposed to do of being a grindhouse film with its artificial grain snapped on top and, and uh, pock marks in, in the screen and kind of deterioration, it puts a lot of kind of crackles and stuff in it. Um, without that stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do badly when it does try at all. And then 80% of the other time, it doesn't even try to be a grindhouse film. So it's just bad. It's just a pointless, bad movie. Johnny, yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole grindhouse trilogy, uh, trilogy, uh, whatever you call it, grindhouse set of movies is flawed anyway. Yes. Because... Like I said, people got up halfway through the movie and left. (laughs) Even that, take that away. The whole point of a grindhouse movie is it's it's a low budget movie that you couldn't resell for the price of a movie. Um, so they've created two mid, mid-budget movies and glued them together and expected everyone to get the joke. And neither film works. And Planet Terror is the better of the two anyway because it has more going on. This one is just Kurt Russell driving around and crashing into people. So it's basically a bad version of Death Race. Um, but at least Death Race is silly and fun this is just like thinks it's much smarter than it is um i think that's it i think often quentin tarantino when he's at his worst is when he's thinking other than being messy and putting too much stuff in is when he thinks he's smarter than he is he's better off when he has like a good story and sticks to it and and has some fun along the way it's when he goes like i'm gonna do something really navel gazy here and that's when he kind of spins off the rails and this is the worst of that and, you, and, and it certainly doesn't make sense by itself. I don't think it really makes sense as part of a, two movies, but it really I mean, does not make sense. In a shorter form, even with like 20... I have never seen the shorter version because that version never existed after the theatrical release of, Death, uh, of uh, uh, Grindhouse in the US. 
But even in its shorter form, my understanding is it's not much better. The philosophizing speech about why cars are like women and why women are like cars, it goes from being 20 minutes to 15 minutes. You know, so it's still like, this isn't a grindhouse film. It's just a bad film with mm-hmm. people wearing 70s costumes and, oh, look, Kurt Russell's got a mullet. And what's that artificial grain doing on the screen? It doesn't make sense. Um, so, it's, yeah, either way, it's just a bad movie. Yeah, I agree. I think that kind of brings our top 10 list to an end. So to bring this podcast to a close, Callum, how would you sum up Quentin's career? Flawed, um, but he came out of the gate so strong and confident and with the talents to back up his ambition and his uh, pluck and his energy. There's a reason why guys like him in the 90s took over the world. Um, ambition can lead to sloppiness because he's got too many ideas going on at once and he wants to get them all out in one go and without someone like Sally Menke and I believe actually his uh, longtime production designer died uh, about midway through um, Django Unchained, Unchained and again these people that this because uh, no filmmaker is a single filmmaker that's why I'm not on board with auteur theory um, a filmmaker is surrounded by the hundreds and dozens of people that make film with them and when that support network starts to go as it does in later in life as people you know unfortunately either die or retire or move on to other filmmakers and stuff like that the the cracks can start to the the support network can can stop holding you back in the ways that perhaps it should Um, and i think that's kind of what's been happening recently is that he's lost a lot of that network through tragedy but also through people going off to work with other people um, and I think that his ambition, he doesn't have ambition so much anymore because he's no longer a plucky young filmmaker with something to prove. He's proven it. He's talented, but now he can just give a script to a studio and the studio goes, yes, uh, yes, Quentin, we'll make this. We'll make this absolutely, Quentin. Um, and that's a problem. He needs to, for his next film, the one about the film critic, he needs to find a way to Imagine he's 26 again and trying to sell a film for the first time at Sundance or trying to sell a film and make it get over $100 million. So I think that's where he is at this point. And hopefully he finds his way back there for his, apparently his final film, so he said. Yeah, apparently, apparently so. Um, I would say that he is someone who started off with all the talent in the world Um someone who really got films and still really gets films and just kind of like really loves um, the, just the process of making films and why they exist. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a filmmaker's filmmaker. I think that's why filmmakers and media students and all these kind of people absolutely love him. But I think he's someone that, maybe got high off his own um high off his own kind of what people were telling him of his own ego to an extent um and and as you say kind of lost that support network around him who maybe kept him a bit grounded and i think unfortunately he's slowly the films has got bulkier and bigger and he's kind of been let more and more loose um probably from inglorious bastards onwards a little bit with the Kill Bill films even. Um, and I think he's someone who probably hasn't 
um, lived up to his potential. I think if you look, you know, everyone's going to have a bad movie or, or a movie that's not as good as another movie. Like, you can't have 10 Pulp Fictions or 10 Reservoir Dogs. That's just not going to happen. But I think the the spark is happening less and less on a more, you know, consistent basis. So unless this last film, this was supposed last film, is an absolute slam dunk, he's someone who's definitely gone out with more of a whimper than a bang. So he started off with a absolutely stellar career and has ended with a career where people are like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino is pretty good, isn't he? And I think that's the difference. He's gone from being like one of the it guys to, oh yeah, a new Quentin Tarantino movie. That'll be interesting, I suppose. That's kind of how people feel about it now. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I would love, I'd love for him to go, you know what, I'm going to go out with a bang. I'm going to really, I'm going to listen to the critics. I'm going to, not too much because you need to leave a bit of yourself in there, but I'm going to try and go back to basics, back to my roots and really make something kind of like that that is stunning but i just don't think he will do that because i don't think that's him i think no, he's I, much I, like, whoa yeah this is cool I, man i don't think so either um he's also fairly thin-skinned if you've yeah. ever seen him talk to a critic or a journalist that doesn't think he's the cat's pajamas he gets quite shirty quite quickly yes oh yeah and, man I, I make amazing movies like just oh what's that one phrase he said uh, i disagree with your hypothesis or yeah something like that. it was the um, murphy or something wasn't it yeah, it was. That was about um, violence in cinema or something. And uh, or also when Spike Lee um, said that perhaps you should stop using that racial slur. Like, you're mm. not black. You don't get to say that. And people said, well, people are only angry at him because nobody sees Spike Lee films anymore. Which, you know, even if in the mid-90s there was some truth to that, it's still like, come on. You're, you're an adult. Him. He's, a, you know, he's, he's somebody who's lived experience of these things. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he has problems with that. And Unless he can listen, he's never going to become great for his last film. I don't think. I don't think that's going to happen. No. But we can live in hope. We can live in hope. Hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. But no, I think that probably brings this episode to a nice close then. Yeah, um, we brought it in under the wire. Absolutely. So thanks very much, guys, for listening to this very special episode. Don't forget to interact with us on our social medias, which are Callum. Untitled Film Podcast, Facebook and Instagram. And you can also watch these back on YouTube. And you can expect a, should we say, more normal episode next week? Um, I think so. The two reviews standard. I think we'll uh, get back to doing that. And um, we enjoy doing these retrospectives and these um offshoot episodes if you'd like to hear us do more then please get in touch and tell us a subject you'd like us yeah. to tackle. Give, give us some ideas we're we're up for up for anything really we're well. creatively bankrupt and we've got nothing so please tell us what to do absolutely thanks very much guys and have a wonderful week bye-bye Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 